Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 1st of August. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. This month begins after the wettest July on record. Metorin says there was 215% more rain than you would normally expect in July, outstripping the previous record in 2009 when there was 202% of expected rainfall. To put it into perspective, there was four times more rain last month than there was in July last year. So yes, it was as bad as you thought. A washout of a month, if ever there was. But at least it has been warm. And that may have given some households a bit of respite from having to deal with massive electricity and gas bills. Bills have been soaring, as you know. In many circumstances, bills have become unaffordable. And the upshot of this is that people are falling into arrears. Over 400,000 people in arrears. Let's hear a little bit more about the situation that people have found themselves in and the concerns that there are for those people going into the winter months. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate change and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, indeed, uh, the Oireachtas Committee Uh, that you sit on has been given figures from the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities. What has the CRU said to you about the number of people who are in arrears and indeed the number of people who have been disconnected? So they've given us uh, an update on the the figures um, running from February to May of this year. So um, we, we looked for the the first half of the year, but uh, the latest figures they had were, were up to May, um, and, and we'll continue to get the, the updated figures. But the picture is a very clear one, um, increasing numbers across every category, domestic electricity, non-domestic electricity, domestic gas, non-domestic gas, increasing numbers uh, going into arrears. Um, so to deal with the arrears, first of all, um, there are two 240,791 domestic electricity customers now in arrears. There are um, 165, 206 domestic gas customers now in arrears. And both of those have seen significant month-on-month uh, increase. So 
the increase in domestic electricity numbers in arrears month on month was 23,453. So that's 23,453 customers going from, I suppose, struggling to pay their bills to drifting into arrears in relation to domestic gas. The number is smaller, but of course there's a smaller number of of gas customers than there is uh, electricity customers. 1,137 customers went from uh, um, struggling to into arrears. So those are huge numbers, over 400,000 customers uh, in arrears, which is hugely problematic, struggling to pay their bills. Um, for, For a percentage of those, it pushes them closer to the risk of disconnection. And we know we had the the moratorium on disconnections over the the winter months into the end of of March. And the CRU confirmed to us in in April and May then that 153 domestic electricity and 215 domestic gas customers were, were disconnected. So Mm. You know, I don't know the individual circumstances in relation to those disconnections, and mm. um, whether they were good faith or bad faith. But one thing we know for sure is that where there was a supply before of of gas or electricity to a home, it has been disconnected. You know, I don't know. You know, maybe some of them were holiday homes, second homes, homes that were were vacant. Mm. But I, I doubt that they all were, Michael. Um, some of them, you might presume or assume, were people who were just struggling to keep their head above water and were drifting and drifting. But either way, they wouldn't have been disconnected in February or March, for that matter, because there was a moratorium. There was a ban on disconnecting. Exactly, exactly. So, and again, uh, to try and and, and get a picture of, you know, so what we would say to to absolutely everybody um, is, you know, you need to engage with your supplier that one thing we cannot do, we can't put our our, our head in the sand or or deny or ignore uh, these bills when when they come in Mm. because you 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 do risk the the prospect of of being uh, disconnected. Um, We would like to see a further extension of the moratorium on, on this disconnections but in fairness to suppliers they are generally good they will disconnect only really as a as a matter of of last resort but mm. at what stage after failing to pay your bill or for the second time third time i mean what generally is the circumstance that they get to a stage where they say that's it we're cutting you off so it's it's I, I think it's uh, and I think it's, it depends on individual circumstances, but really uh, what, what they need to see from a, um, a, a customer is um, you know just a, a complete lack of engagement, uh, um, you know almost almost been in denial in relation to, to the problem in terms of of uh, um, the you know the, to the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, because in fairness, there, uh, like I think, I think it's fair to say that that uh, in many circumstances, and, and it's one thing I would always advise anyone coming to me is in the first instance, make sure that your bill is actually accurate. Um, in many cases, what you have is estimated bills, and I've I've challenged energy companies in relation to it. Sometimes you see these completely outrageous bills that that people get completely unrelated to mm. any um, any supply they've they've ever used before, any demand they've ever had before. And when they go to investigate it, they say, "Well, this was an estimated reading um, based on you know some some average across a, a, a number of customers, but but not in relation to to the individual customer." And mm. you know. 
it, it becomes more manageable when when they take a, a reading themselves. And I know from speaking to to people in in the you work in the post office locally, um, a number of them have said the same that they, they have um, you know particularly elderly people coming into them concerned, mm. really concerned um, with with a high electricity or gas bills that they've got and and just that approach of ensuring that the in the first instance that the bill is 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 a genuine and and, and reflects your 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 electricity or gas usage because in some mm. cases they don't but well, regardless we, 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 of we that, need I, light and heat i, I mean I, I, I can't even imagine being disconnected and the thoughts of it are, are just too much i'm sure for many people to take and i take it that's why we all pay our bills uh, but if you can't afford the bill because some of the bills have been extortionate uh, if you get a bill for six seven eight hundred euro uh, if you pay 200 euro let's say uh, would they disconnect you Oh, I think I think that the matter of of engaging is 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 the like the, the most important thing I would say to people is to engage. Don't uh, um, put your head in the sand in relation to you know it can be and and, and that can be a, a fairly natural reaction. You know, like mm. I, I cannot deal with this, so I, I won't deal with it. You know, um, so I, I would encourage people to you know if if they're in that that place, like to contact the local public representative, to contact Mabs uh, St Vincent de Paul, but in the first instance to contact. Your your energy energy provider because in in no circumstances and and, and I, I don't think any supplier should move against anybody who is engaging in good faith who is uh, on a payment plan who is showing a, a track record of doing their best but I think that the, the broader issue here Michael and what we see from these figures is that gas and electricity bills are unsustainable in Ireland across the board and there are some people who are more exposed to that than others and um, the other thing that these pictures bear bear out is that the interventions made by government and they have made interventions in terms of the 200 euro energy credits mm. and some tweaking in terms of, of of social welfare and fuel allowance but it is very clear that that hasn't gone anywhere close enough to uh, preventing increasing arrears and increasing disconnections and that is you know it confirms what 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 Sinn Féin and others in opposition have said and, and I have to say many in the poverty sector um St Vincent de Paul and Social Justice Ireland and others have said in terms of the the approach from from government but the the, the, there is no denying the figures from the the Commission for Regulation of Utilities significantly increasing numbers into going into arrears um, and you know obviously mm. increasing numbers in disconnections because the, the moratorium ban and the other thing to say Michael is that our expectation is regrettably that this picture is only going to come become more bleak in the months ahead when we get mm-hmm. the figures for June. Well, will it? I, I mean, that would be the fear, obviously. Uh, there was a 10% increase uh, in uh, the three-month period uh, that you've been given the figures for, uh, going from 365,000 households to almost 406,000 households. It's shocking. Uh, but bills have come down since, have they not? Well, bills haven't come down for for you know. Well, well of course, the unit price hasn't come mm. down for for people, and that's it. You know, uh, uh, Shin scale Ella, like that's another story and one that you know the the government and energy companies really need to get their act together on. Um, 
uh, um, you know, particularly in terms of where we see the wholesale price of gas and the, the wholesale price of, of uh, electricity and where the retail price is or the, the price for consumers. And, you know, that's something that, that, that government need and the regulator need to get their act together on and, and, and put pressure on, on energy companies to pass on that reduction. I think, you know, it's, you know, it, it is fair to say that over the, the, the summer months, usually, um, there is a, a reduced demand, but it varies, and it's not it's not a huge reduction in demand that that we might that we might expect to see. And the other thing is, you know, we've had a we've had a, a wet. It hasn't been a cold uh, 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 summer, but it's been a wet summer, which means people are in the house a lot more. There, um, you know, kids and families are they're, they're cooped up in the house. There's additional electricity usage compared to. Other summers, for example, so we don't know what way that picture is mm. is going to, to play out. The other thing I think is important to say in terms of, you know, looking forward to this winter and where the price of gas and price of electricity will be. You know, anybody that's been looking at what's happening in, uh, across Europe and the, the huge heat wave that's happening there and the fires and everything else that goes with that. One thing, another thing that goes with that is a huge increase in usage of air conditioning units which, of course, brings a big demand on on electricity and, and indirectly gas supply, which you know I expect will have some implication, uh, and, and the implication will be it will drive up the the, the cost of, of gas and electricity coming into the winter months because when you're expecting lower demand yeah. across Europe, it's, it's we're not actually seeing that. So in we'll the be getting we'll be getting more expensive bills because of people using air conditioning in Greece and Portugal. And places like that, exactly, and vice versa. Right. You know, when, yeah. when they might, when they might, when they might expect uh, some some uh, relief in the in the winter months. You know, Britain and Ireland mm. and Scandinavia are are increasing their demand. So it's an interconnect. Mm. We're all interconnected. Um, you know, all of it has because it's a like a global market and a European and British markets. Um, it's all interconnected and, and it has knock knock on effects. So, have we um, any idea of the level of arrears that people are in? Uh, because four hundred and six thousand people in arrears uh, is completely shocking. Uh, but do they owe twenty quid? or are they paying 200 euro off a 600 euro bill uh, which means they owe 400 or was that twice in a row or a number of times in a row do we have any idea of how much is owed no we don't um and that's something uh, that we've specifically saw uh, on the back of the figures that we've got because some of the difficulty we have, and again, we hear regularly from you know the the, the, the um, poverty sector, social justice Ireland, St Vincent de Paul, and others, and and what they you know they want to get a clear picture in terms of energy poverty, which is a specific sub- subset of poverty, and the difficulty they have in, in many cases is just the the, the, the quality of, of data and information they have in relation to it. So what we've sought off the CRU is that detailed breakdown. You know, where are these people? Are they a particular subset of, of, of society? Are they living in particular areas? Are they... Um, you know, are they, they, they people in, in you know in, in particular uh, um, sectors of employment? Are they you know are they single parents? Are they what you know? Yeah. Give us the the breakdown in, in terms of who exactly is exposed mm. and what is the pattern? Because we've we've looked at it and we've we've asked like for example we've specifically asked in relation to the pattern of usage and, and information that's been generated from the 
from the, the uh, pay-as-you-go meters um, and like the CRU will say casually to us, well, you know, we don't collect that data and we we work on the basis that people don't, when people aren't using energy, it's uh, as, as much a, a lifestyle choice and I think everybody is, is enraged with that sort of approach when they think you know, well, well it may be a lifestyle choice but it also may be people uh, going without heat and power because they, they, they can't afford it and all of the implications of that in terms of their health and well-being but you know, not just for themselves but for children and I think you know, it, it really is as we embark upon another winter, but also like a sustained period, we're hearing it from all of the experts in the area that we are now into a sustained period of high energy costs, um, some related to the war in Ukraine, some related to, um, you know, the, 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 the switch mm. towards renewables and, and the, move, the necessary move away from fossil fuels. But um, what we need to ensure, uh, if, if that is going to be the case, is that we can protect people and avoid them from drifting into arrears, being disconnected. And uh, and it's not just those who are disconnected. Some yeah. people are self-disconnecting, as I said, and going without heat and power. That's just... Um, Mm. criminal in, in, in my I, opinion. I, I take it falling into arrears, being in arrears can't go on indefinitely and that you can't continue to pay a, a portion of the bill that's owed uh, every time, every two months that you get your bill uh, and that uh, eventually then that uh, the provider is going to ask you to do something like pay as you go if you can't uh, afford to pay that, off what you owe. That, that's it exactly and, and, and actually the implication of that is you know I, I think if you, if you extend that so that's exactly the approach what the, the supplier will do is you know, this is a, 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 a clarify the bill which you um, so first of all, you know, is this is this red, is this um, estimated as a legitimate bill, what's your energy usage? Um then uh, will you enter into a payment plan? Uh, this needs to be sustainable, uh, monitored, monitored over a period. Your energy usage and your your payment down on your 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 arrears. But if if there's a mismatch between um, your energy usage and your payment, they will move you uh, uh, voluntarily or or or, uh, or otherwise onto a pay-as-you-go meter. Mm. But this is the, the implication of that is instead of um, the energy company. Um, uh, footing the bill for your usage and, and lack of payment, uh, it's it's you that will just go without um, without electricity and power, mm-hmm. um, and and that's that area of of self disconnection that you know we really need to to to, to know more about because there are hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. on pay as you go meters, um, and as we, we had that whole discussion at the at the back end of last year in terms of the. Uh, or as they call them in some cases, hardship meters. Um, but a, a, a significant um, uh, motivation in relation mm. to a lot of that is that um, uh, it's it's the the customer at the end of the day that will have to go without if they haven't got the price of of uh, um, of their 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 bill. Cold in the dark, as the case may be, and there will always be people in arrears. But I think it's probably put best into perspective uh, by looking at uh, the number of people in arrears. You've got figures for gas customers who are in arrears compared to uh, today from 2019. There's been an 81 percent increase. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and gas customers are hugely exposed because um, because. The, 
because gas, as we all know, has uh, hugely increased in, in, in price um, because of the war in Ukraine, particularly because of the war in Ukraine. Um, there is some buffer in electricity prices because, um, you know, there's a mixture of, of factors. You know, some electricity is generated from gas, some is from coal, some is from oil, some is from, from, from renewables. So that dilutes out the, the exposure to gas. But if you're born in natural gas or, or bottled gas, um, you're, you're, you're almost 100% exposed to the, to the price of gas. So, Unsurprisingly, um, those in in uh, arrears in relation to gas payments uh, have have increased even uh, by by even greater numbers, and, and you've outlined it there. Um, and again, that goes back to my point in terms of an understanding of the the new environment in relation to to energy costs and, and how it's going to be sustainable into the future. But I, I will, uh, Michael, make the point in terms of. And it doesn't particularly apply to, I think, Gas Networks Ireland announced their figures last year. They are are similar to to ordinary customers because they don't produce gas and they just buy it and and sell it, um, aren't hugely profitable. But there are energy companies that are making an absolute fortune at this point in time and have on the back of the war in Ukraine, um, particularly those who have a, a really strong renewables portfolio, um, and uh, if we look at that factor and the fact that the wholesale price of gas has significantly reduced in recent months and that reduction hasn't been passed on to to customers. And if we, if we put those two facts together and the fact that we have increasing numbers in arrears, it really does call uh, into question, uh, I think, the 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 approach that those companies are taking, it's, it would strike me as, as one of, of price gouging and profiteering. And that's where you need a strong regulator, a strong government mm. to ensure that uh, that, that doesn't uh, happen and isn't allowed to happen. And okay. we, uh, I would say uh, in, in firm terms, that our government have been slow to act on those companies. Okay, we'll leave it there, Darren. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on climate change and a TD for me, at least. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Central Statistics Office published more fascinating information into the experiences of people who've been sexually assaulted in this country. 66% of those aged 18 to 24 who experienced sexual violence as an adult and disclosed told a friend first. 36% of women who did not disclose any experience of sexual violence as an adult did so because they felt ashamed or embarrassed. 12% of adults who experienced sexual violence as a child and disclosed to someone disclosed to the police. 83% of adults who experienced sexual violence as a child who used a support service found it helpful. There are some of uh, the headline statistics from the CSO. Let's speak to Nolene Blackwell, who is uh, the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. A very good morning to you, Nolene, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Some interesting data uh, from uh, the CSO. What do you make of uh, this information uh, that we have now about the number of women who've been assaulted in one way or another but didn't tell anybody because they felt too ashamed or embarrassed? 
I think this is really, um, yeah, I, I, I suppose it doesn't surprise us and it probably doesn't surprise your listeners either when you hear about people who don't talk about uh, their sexual assault, who reveal it ultimately and say, I felt ashamed, I felt embarrassed, I felt it was my fault. Um, so, th- But from the CFO, this is very important information. This is the, this is the uh, Census Statistics Office, very first time uh, doing a, a review of the prevalence of sexual violence in Ireland. Um, there was one previously, but it wasn't done by the CSO, the Savvy study. That's 20 years ago. And in this survey, in one of their previous, in one of their first chapters, we'll say, this is chapter four. In chapter one, they found that 40% of those surveyed, which was a big sample, a big uh, representative sample, 40% had experienced some form of sexual violence over their lifetime. And and what they looked at then was that 40%, which is a lot of people in Ireland, how many of them disclosed? And how many of them told anyone? And the thing is that only about half of those who uh, experienced sexual violence told anyone at all. Mostly they told a friend or a family. Mm. Uh, but it is, it is really interesting to look at the ones who didn't. And, and you were talking there about, uh, the, about a third of women didn't because they felt embarrassed and ashamed. A smaller number of men. Uh, with men, it was about half that. About 15% didn't talk about it because they felt ashamed or embarrassed. But the, the, the standout figure for me in some ways, Michael, is the one that said of those who experience sexual violence, about half of them didn't tell anyone because they they thought it wasn't serious enough to do it. Mm. Um, and I think that still says an awful lot about our attitude to sexual violence in Ireland. I mean... It's uh, the the world we live in today is different, even to the one we had ten years ago, and certainly different to the one we had twenty years ago. Where um, twenty years ago or more, a lot of people who were um, sexually abused in the workplace, who were sexually abused at home or in their family or with friends, they were told get on with it, uh, don't don't make a fuss, um, you have to put up with that kind of thing, stay away from so-and-so because they're dangerous. Uh, where, and so they learned, we learned as a society how to um, trivialise sexual violence, how to say this wasn't as important as physical violence, as other forms of harm. And I think that has come out in this survey where you can see that the people most likely to disclose are younger people and those least likely to disclose are those in the older cohorts where really there was no point in disclosing before because it wasn't taken seriously you were blamed, uh, you were made to feel embarrassed about it, and and finally there was very little you could do about it. Mm. It's no wonder then that uh, sexual violence is so prevalent. Yeah, exactly. And that's why this information is really, really important. It hasn't been captured in, uh, as I say, by the CSO before, but, but when we have it, we can remind people that, uh, first of all, it is never trivial 
at that that it's one of the few areas where the person who suffers the harm is the person who feels embarrassed in some ways if you can sort of take yourself above the harm and look at it you're going why is it that me the person who suffered the abuse is the person who feels embarrassed surely the person who carried out the harm should be the person to feel embarrassed Uh, but that has not been the case so this is really useful in allowing um, a, a more general, to have a bit of a conversation around that, to remind people there is no shame in being abused. There is shame in being an mm. abuser. But but that is, that, that we're, we're going to have to retrain our social minds in a space like that. Mm. And, and even in terms of people who do talk, they talk to family and friends. So we can talk about support services and, and the Gardaí in a minute, but just if if about half of those who do tell someone, tell family or a friend, then I think one of the things that's important for all of us is to make sure that if someone does tell us something, that we don't trivialise it for them, that we don't say um, that's not that's not important, that's not serious, because now actually we know the harm that can be done through sexual violence, even if it's not rape. If it is a case of uh, someone uh, sending a, an intimate picture of you off to somebody else without mm. your consent, if it's a question of the constant sexual innuendos directed at you in the office where everybody else keeps their head down in case it happens to them, there are so many situations in which we all have a part to play in taking this more seriously than we did before. And we weren't encouraged to, mm. as it's, a society. We weren't encouraged to take it seriously. It's interesting, uh, I think, Nolene, to hear you say that there is shame in being an abuser. You may think that's the case. I don't know how many abusers would agree. Uh, but therein lies the role of Gardaí in the judicial system so that those people can know longer be a danger to other people. If a, a fifth of adults experience some form of sexual violence as a child uh, and 12% uh, of those have disclosed it to the police, reported it to the Gardaí, uh, it means a, an awful lot of uh, sexual predators are on the loose, doesn't it? It does uh, it, it? It does, and it, and it doesn't. I'm uh, I I I'm a very strong believer uh, where there is a, where there is a predator, uh, where there is somebody. And actually, one of the main reasons why people do tell the guardie at all is because they think either they're looking for help for themselves, or they think someone might be at risk of such abuse as well. I mean, in the case of child sexual abuse, sometimes literally you will find that the uh, that the person who carried out the abuse has died um, uh, or, or is, is elderly. But I, I, a key reason why we are never going to get all of these harmful events reported to an authority, uh, especially to the Gardaí, is because the, the person is known to them. We know, and, and a previous chapter of this survey proved it again, that the majority of those who experience sexual violence experience it by somebody else who is known to them, often a member of their family uh, or of their close circle or someone in authority over them, particularly with children. Uh, So in those cases, taking a case to the Gardaí is 
quite different to uh, to, to pick a, a, a different example altogether to reporting your bike stolen mm. because there are implications for your whole community in this kind of crime in a way that there isn't even in physical violence very often it is a stranger but for the most part this is abuse that happens in intimate settings it's hard to talk about it yeah. to anyone and particularly hard to go through a Garda investigation or a workplace investigation but but there is also the implications for the whole family so we have to make first of all we have to make it clear that the family has to become a safer place that communities have not to tolerate this where it happened in the first place but there there is and there has been a real reluctance particularly in the case of abuse that happened some time ago uh, to go to the Gardaí to make the case uh, what seems to happen very often there as well, Michael, is that if an institution is shown to be sort of systematically at fault, uh, and one of the recent examples, uh, so, so I'm, I mean, I'm not calling up any old scandal, but say the spirit and schools abuse in recent times have been uh, one of the cases where a lot of people would have come forward because they would have got courage from each other. Mm. So the fact that people weren't disclosing at all, that they were holding it to themselves, for a long time makes it even harder mm. to go into what is never going to be a simple process in investigating yeah. these crimes. Or, or if you look it's what's happening, far too low. if you look at yeah. what's happening with the Christian Brothers uh, and how they're exactly. thwarting uh, the victims uh, from receiving justice uh, and blocking their way uh, to finding redress, uh, we should exactly. men- we should mention um, your helpline number one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight. There's trained counsellors twenty four hours a day at the end of that number who can speak to people uh, and uh, it, it is a most valuable service 1-800-77-88 and I think that um, this data from the CSO uh, supports that statement 83% of adults who experience sexual violence as a child who use the support service found it helpful uh, it may seem alien to somebody listening to us now who's never gone to a support service who maybe has never spoken spoken to somebody who thinks well what difference will it make it won't undo the harm that was done to me uh, maybe you'd like to speak to them Nolene yeah, I know. It, it is. It was. It was very heartening to see that because it's hard to get that sort of, you know, external objective indication. We know people who contact the helpline either by phoning it or by using the web chat service, and um, that we know that they feel better for it. But to see that is that is really good. Eighty three percent of those who suffered abuse as a child. Eighty five percent of those who suffered abuse as an adult. Mm-hmm. When they use the support services, they get value from them. And of course the reason is because we, we all of the support services us, the other rape crisis and all of the rape crisis centres one in four uh, carry all of these are working to are, are working knowing that sexual violence harms people and working to recognise that harm and to heal it. Um, the, the, only, the only thing that, that was a bit of a problem around it was how few people knew about support services when they needed it. Only, you know, 9% of people used, say, the specific support services. 20% turned to anyone. A lot of people didn't know where to turn. So just that service is free. 
the helpline is free. It's a national helpline. So it's for people anywhere. The state has funded us, not well enough, but still it has funded us in order to make sure that there is somebody there at the end of a line for somebody. When they can take that step, because we never underestimate how difficult that first call is. We actually calculate in our annual statistics the number of hang-ups we have, hang-up calls where people do their best, they phone the line and, they, and, they, and they're not able to say it the first time. But sometimes people will phone a few times maybe before they can do it. Now with the web chat it might be easier for people to actually get in and that's at drcc.ie. But which or whether... The, the reality is that in the same way that sexual violence was minimized in our society, the harm that it did to people was also trivialized and minimized and is only starting to be understood now. And that's where we come in. We are a, an emotional support service for people who want to make that first disclosure, for people who want to report to the guards but they don't know how to go about it new web service there for that as well and we can direct people to that to to understand what's involved in it to be there just I remember one particular person who our accompaniment service was going to court to them and they said what we like about you is that you you don't worry that much about us you care for us but you know her own mam was very worried about her where she was able to say you are just there, that, that support that's with us, but you're not going to be as, you know, it's not mm. going to worry you and to victi- be with us. And so victims are always believed. 24 hours a day, one eight hundred seventy seven eighty. And Michael, totally confidential. Mm-hmm. Totally Nobody confidential. on the helpline will, will say anything to anybody okay. about things. There was a small number of people and my guess is that they may be uh, mm. people who come from other jurisdictions, but in Ireland we mm. never, except in in a very, very limited set of circumstances where there may be a child at risk, we, or a person themselves may be at huge uh, physical risk, we never, ever uh, have to tell anybody about what we hear. Okay. The service is there for the person who contacts us or the other services. I mean, a magnificent mm-hmm. service in the northeast as well, okay. out of Dundalk. You know, so there are so many rape crisis centres around is- the place. Yeah. Okay, Nolene, I have to leave there. Thank you very much indeed. one 800 hours a day. The Dublin Rape Crisis Centre helpline. Nolene Blackwell is CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. A 16-year-old girl and a 17-year-old girl died last night. Another girl aged 18 is in a critical condition in hospital. An 18-year-old boy is in hospital with non-life-threatening injuries and a man in his 60s is also in hospital in a critical condition. Let's speak now to Ashleen Kiernan, who's the news editor with Northern Sound Radio. A very good morning to you, Ashleen, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. A terrible, terrible tragedy near Clonus yesterday where this group of five people were travelling to the Deb's Ball, uh, of all things. Uh, It's very hard, uh, I'm sure, for people to take in the news locally, let alone to deal with uh, the loss of life. Tell us more, if you will. 
Good morning, Michael. Yes, um, uh, you're correct. Uh, This was a group of youngsters who were heading to uh, their Debs Ball. Uh, Largy College in Clonus was holding its Debs Ball yesterday evening. Um, There's a sense of numbness in the community in Clonus this morning. Um, Local councillor Pat Trainer highlighted that to me earlier. He said that uh, people are absolutely shocked and devastated by what has happened. Um, and uh, he said that the community, there's a great sense of community um, in Clonus and that people will rally around and help and support the families and each other over the coming days. And obviously uh, an awful lot of uh, people affected. There would have been a lot of people going to the Debs Ball uh, and how that night of celebration has turned into a, a night of tragedy. Uh, many of uh, those uh, who have been celebrating uh, that uh, life passage uh, last night or who should have been celebrating that life passage last night now will be in a, a state of grief. Absolutely, Michael. Um, sure, it's a, the Debs Ball is a milestone celebration for any any young person, and particularly, I suppose, youngsters who've just completed their leaving cert and they had been looking forward to this and and planning it, I suppose, for the last number of weeks. Um, the event didn't go ahead, obviously. Um, it was cancelled as soon as it emerged of the tragedy. Um, and both the school, first of all, Clonus Youth Club opened its doors to provide um, support and help to the students and friends of those who had died and those who were injured. And the school also uh, opened the gates last night to ensure that those who had uh, gone to the Debs and who had travelled, that they were able to uh, get back to a safe space uh, last night and get picked up or collected by their parents. The names of uh, the deceased girls aren't being made public as yet, but uh, I'm sure... Uh, there's a, a lot of people in the locality uh, who are fully aware of who has been involved in this terrible, terrible road crash. Well, uh, absolutely. And there has been a, 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 a massive, massive outpouring of grief locally um, since it emerged um, I suppose at around 10, 10.30 last night that um, two lives had been lost and uh, two others are critically injured um, and a third person, while they don't have no, uh, life-threatening injuries, they are also in hospital this morning. It really is hard to fathom uh, what people are going through. Ashling, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Ashling Kiernan, News Editor with Northern Sound Radio. Michael Reed on LMFM. As you've been hearing, the Environmental Protection Agency is publishing the EPA Drinking Water Quality in Public Supplies report. Today, it shows that 99.7% of public water supplies are safe to drink. Uh, The story doesn't end there. Let's speak uh, to Cormac McGarlett, who is uh, at uh, the inspection, who is an inspector, beg your pardon, in the Office of Environment mental enforcement. A very good morning to you Cormac and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I suppose we should start with that very positive statistic. Most people are drinking water that is perfectly safe to drink. That's a good achievement in itself, isn't it? Yes indeed Michael, it is a good achievement um, and it's good to, to report to people on public supplies and as you mentioned we're launching our report, it's the 2022 report in relation to public water supplies across Ireland and some of the highlights as you mentioned about the high compliance rate which is definitely a good news story, over 99.7% of samples were compliant with the standards and that's we've seen that over the last few years as well so that's been maintained 
some other good news, for example, a big new plant has been built down in Cork City. So, uh, you know, that serves almost 100,000 people. So that also is good progress. But there are issues. Uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's work to be done, for example. There's supplies on the EPA's remedial action list. So that's the list of public water supplies that need to be fixed that have an issue with them. So that has gone up the number of supplies on that list and the number of people supplied. So that's not good news. Also, uh, the level of trihalomethanes, which is a disinfection byproduct. So that's a chemical that's in people's water. So the risk of that has gone up and the number of people uh, on those supplies have also gone up. And also in relation to lead, there are issues with lead in the water. So Mm. while broadly speaking, you know, it is a very positive good news story and I wouldn't want people to be to be too worried. There are issues that need to be worked on and I suppose that's the job of the EPA is to call out those issues and to highlight them. Okay and that means for people locally in County Louth, uh, concern uh, if you're being supplied by Greenmount or Talonstown in Meath if you're being supplied by Batterstown Drumconrath, uh, Navan or Trim. Yes, indeed. Yeah, there are issues at all those plants that you mentioned. Um, but I suppose it's important to say that uh, When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Well, issues can take time to get resolved, um, but the job of the EPA, as I mentioned, is to highlight those issues and to mm. keep the pressure on and to keep work moving in relation to sorting out those issues. So some get sorted sooner than others, and we've seen, you know, there are a lot of supplies that actually do get worked on and do get brought off um, the remedial action list. For example, Cavan Baileybor last year, there was an issue there, and that, that plant serves over 7,000 people. So that and came off the list, work was done, there was a manganese issue there, work was done and the issue was sorted out. And there are other sites around the country as well where we've seen that, where, where issues have been sorted. But the issue is that more sites are coming on, more supplies are coming on, so the number is actually going up. So there's a lot of good work being done, uh, but we always have to keep a focus on this. Um, I suppose there's a legacy really over the last probably 25 years of underinvestment uh, as a country, um, year on year. So that, you know, took 25, 30 years to, 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 to do. So it's going to take a number of years to actually resolve. 
Talk to us about manganese, if you would, uh, because there's an awful problem in Dundalk with manganese and uh, people are being told it's safe uh, to drink brown, cloudy water. Uh, They're not very confident about it. Is it safe to drink that water? Well, manganese is one of those um, chemicals that when it's a, it's a natural metal that comes from the supply of the water, you know, given the, the soil or the rock type in the area, you can end up having high manganese and it can uh, settle in pipes and then get, get disturbed. And it is very noticeable in the water. Um, a lot of things are invisible. Uh, manganese is certainly not one of those. And it also can give a quite a nasty taste to the water. But on the other hand, the health impacts of it um, come at a, when it's, it's quite high and generally speaking, the water would be too unpalatable to drink before you would be reaching any health problems. But for mm. a consumer, that really isn't you know, a huge amount of consolation when they're seeing colour in their water and when they're, they're getting a bad taste from their water. And they can be difficult enough issues to sort. But again, we are seeing manganese issues around the country. It's something that that is being looked at and it has to be worked on in terms of uh, resolving those issues. And there are ways of resolving it. There are things you can do with the filtration system. There are different things you can bring in. You can can modify it. You can um, optimize it. You can put in special types of sands in the filters to help remove the manganese. So there is, Mm. there is, there are... There's a lot of flushing of pipes, I think, going on in Dundalk uh, to try and yeah, deal with it as well. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. And, you know, it wouldn't be un- it wouldn't be unique in that sense. You know, there are issues in other parts of the countries in relation to that. And it can take time to solve because it can settle out in the network. Mm. So even, for example, let's say you had it sort- completely sorted at the plant, sometimes you can have years of build-up in the network and that can take time to be flushed out as well across the whole network because these can be quite complex networks. So it can take time to solve. But, you know, those are issues that we would be keeping the pressure on in mm. relation to Ishgare and to have them sort out those issues. And how can you go from having clean drinking water or what appears to be clear, clean drinking water, clear water, if nothing else, uh, to having brown water coming out of your taps uh, because of manganese? Surely that manganese was there all of the time. How did it uh, end up in uh, the water supply, do you know? Well, it varies. The, the reasons can vary, and I'm not sure in that specific instance mm. as to why. There can be a few things. There can be changes to the water chemistry. Um, you know, there can be different mixes. Oftentimes, the water that's supplied to a consumer might be a mix of a couple of different sources, which is perfectly okay. There might be a surface water supply. There might be a well that's used to supplement it when there's a bigger demand. Uh, there might be changes at the treatment plant. Sometimes even we find that you might make improvements at the treatment plant, you know, because there might be other issues. And that can have knock-ons because they can be quite complex in terms of the different factors that are at play. You know, you have water chemistry and all of that. So, uh, and as I said, you can have years of build-up of deposits in in the network itself. So it can be difficult um, to to initially pin the reason as to why because it can be various factors, you know. But it is something that, you know, we would be keeping the pressure on with Ishka Aaron to make sure that they're monitoring, that they're sampling and that uh, they're continuing to investigate. Well, uh, they uh, have a huge body of work uh, which has been going on for some time and will go on for some time. Mm -hmm.
going to come, it would mm. seem, in the Dundalk area, but still, and all very difficult to understand uh, how, how yeah. it presented as a, a problem, more or less, uh, overnight. In Trim, as you say, there's problems. Uh, we were just talking this morning about it being the wettest July on record, uh, and during July, people have had a reduced supply in the Trim area because uh, of some of uh, the problems there overnight. In particular, they've reduced the supply uh, going to households in the area. Uh, And that really is hard for people to fathom, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, it is very inconvenient and it makes life very difficult for people when supply is either cut off, reduced, or when boil water notices are put in place. So, I mean, they're very disruptive to people's lives. Uh, it's such a, a basic requirement, you know, a water supply. Um, but we're seeing these things happen uh, more and more. We're seeing extreme weather events, and, you know, people have talked about climate change, and climate change has a lot of different implications. And one of them can be that we have um, more water, and that often can be a problem. When there's heavy rainfall, you can have... Um, you know, excess turbidity and sediments in the water. And that can be a problem for plants to treat if it's outside the normal bounds of what the plant would expect to get or would be designed to get. So there can be unusual, you know, climate change isn't just about, well, it's going to be hot and we're going to run out of water. It's actually that there can be extreme events. And we are seeing this more and more around the country. Um, and we are seeing the opposite as well during summertime of increased increased droughts, which um, causes a problem for supplies as well. Um, uh, you mentioned lead. Uh, there's many of us living in old houses uh, who are supplied through lead pipes. Is that dangerous? Lead in itself, yes, on on an ongoing basis. If you're supplied with um, lead, lead water that's in excess of the standards over a number of years, that certainly is an issue. And that's something we're calling out in this report, that, that the risk is still there, um, that more lead pipes need to be removed from the system. In fairness to Ishk and they have been removing lead uh, from the system around the country, um, and they're doing it on an ongoing basis. But we are calling out that it's too slow. They're not going to achieve the targets that they initially set. Uh, but we're also pointing out that the government itself needs to look at public buildings um, and assess those public buildings, schools and hospitals, for example, to see, well, what is the water quality there? It's been present. the water is presented at the hospital, but as it moves through the pipes within a, a building, it, it, the lead can build up. Um, so that's something we're, we're highlighting as well that should be looked at in terms of the government looking at its own public buildings. So lead is an issue and it's something that does need to be looked at. It is being worked on. There are um, lead pipes being removed. And also, I think it's worth noting for people that the the lead grant from the government, that has been made much easier to access now. So there's no means testing for it. Um, So, you know, once you have confirmation that there's lead pipes there and if you want to have them removed, it's fairly straightforward to actually get the grant. So we're hoping as a country that that's going to help as well to to increase the amount of lead pipes removed from the system. Okay, and is it something you'd encourage householders to do themselves? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I would say contact Ishka Aaron um, in relation to it and see if they have any monitoring or if there's an issue there. Um, it, you would actually need a plumber to come and come to your house and have a look and confirm if there are lead pipes or not. But Ishka Aaron probably would be able to help you to say, well, yes, we've seen in that area, um, you know, there are lots of lead pipes mm. or there's not very many. So that can be your first step to contact yeah. Ishka Aaron and or to get a plumber to come and have a look at the house well, and then take it from there. What about filtration? Will filtration deal with something like that? 
it, it can do, but uh, not always. Um, so I would the, really the only long-term solution mm. for lead is to remove the pipes. Okay, all right. Overall, though, a, a positive picture, as you say, for drinking water, public uh, drinking water um, uh, in this country. Yeah, and I think it's mm. good to point that out. It is public yeah. drinking water we're talking about. There are a lot of people, and there will be a lot of your listeners that would be supplied by other types of schemes, not public water, you know, by private wells, by um, uh, private group schemes. Um, that, and this does not cover those, you know, this doesn't refer to the sampling for those. That's something we would look at separately. Um, and there are, you know, there's different levels of quality. The quality would be higher in the public supplies. So I think it's important to note that as well, that there'll be plenty of your listeners who aren't actually on a public supply. And this is speaking directly to the public supply um, okay. people. Cormac, thank you very much indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us today. Cormac McGarlett is an inspector in the Office of Environmental Enforcement with the EPA. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, some very interesting uh, news uh, indeed uh, yesterday uh, of uh, some 31 migrants uh, living in uh, this country who have graduated from political and leadership programmes and indeed uh, that was celebrated at a ceremony uh, run by the Immigrant Council of Ireland yesterday. Uh, Amani Kamal uh, is one of uh, those 31 people who have graduated and she's come into us uh, this morning uh, from Mosny. You're uh, yes. living in Mosny at yes. the moment. Yeah. Well, thank you indeed uh, for coming in to see us uh, and tell us a, a little bit about uh, the programme because uh, you graduated from the Migrant Leadership Academy. Yes. What, what, what's involved in that? First of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be with you today. Uh, actually, this academy one of the best things I have done uh, within my time in Ireland. Um, all my life, since I was young and I started my, you know, my, my vision to the world, I wanted to be in the political place. I want to understand the politics in a different way, especially when it comes to the uh, the system and uh, uh, the things that are running by, you know, those in the key person. Mm. So I wanted to know more. When I found that program and I registered, I was lucky to be selected. Then I had the chance to study with wonderful uh, uh, instructor. Uh, they were wonderful in many ways. They came from Britain, from England, I mean. So uh, we end up with uh, learning a lot and also we have the time to discuss and also have a lot of input. But this program is uh, bringing the information and the human right when it comes to the political uh, aspect. Mm. So this is really what the, uh, many immigrants want to do because or want to understand at the beginning how to play a role, how to give a voice, how to have uh, the uh, opportunity to uh, improve hmm. or to have input in way or another. Okay. Uh, this is about the programme in uh, short. And you've a good understanding, obviously, of Irish politics and the political system in this country. This is exactly uh, the... Uh, and that as an immigrant, uh, you have the right to run in the local elections uh, yes. next year. Would that be your intention? you have a voice and you have input and you can change and you can have... Uh, and this is exactly what we wanted to understand in the beginning. And the instructor were able to bring... Uh, those information on the table and give us the chance, the opportunity to have our input and to listen to our voices and also to our challenges as a migrant and how to play a role 
uh, within the available resources. Actually, there is a lot of available resources, but we are not aware about it. The academy mm-hmm. were able to bring those information to us, and now I believe we are ready to have a role in way or another uh, when it comes to the political aspect. Am I looking at a candidate? <laughs> yeah. You know, my dream is one day I have I will be able to t- make mm. a change. Yeah. A positive change. Yeah. Uh, because we are in that hot pot. Mm. So we know the problems uh, because we are living it every day. So by giving our voices and have, uh, you know, when it comes to voting or mm. uh, sometimes protesting, but within the system, we can have the right pathway that we will tell the government we are here and we have that such right or we have right in this and this mm. and we need to take it in way or another. Yeah. But at the same time, it's uh, it's uh, something available for us and there is resources but yeah. we are because we are not aware about it you know we came from countries mm. they taught us to be afraid yeah uh, many of us came from countries that we are under the pressure the political pressure okay tell so me about that uh, tell, tell me about that in a minute because uh-huh. you sound like a politician to me now you see <laughs> you see i asked you a question <laughs> And like a true politician, you did not say yes, and you did not say no. Yes. So let me ask you the question again. <laughs> Am I looking at a candidate? Do you think you will stand in the local elections? I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. You, you. You're considering your options, yes. are you? Actually, mm. um, in the background is playing a role. And uh, mm. when we raised our, as a children, in many countries, especially Arab countries, and maybe about that of African countries, but we are, I'm talking about myself, mm. my own experience. Uh, talking is not uh, available for us. I mean, we, you can talk about everything, about cooking, about uh, filming, about anything, but not about politics. As politics, a woman. Not as a woman, oh. as a man and woman. Okay. People thinking that the woman has a pressure more than men, actually not true. Uh, if you talk to us as a people, men and women, the mm. same way in everything. Uh, the the women and those, uh, it's a, a media play mm. and we don't want to talk about it now. Actually, men maybe have a pressure more than women because at least we are protected in way or another because mm. of the the culture. Mm. But uh, tell, men us and your, women, tell us about your background. Uh, I am, yeah, mm. I am mm. originally Palestinian mm. and I was born for um, a refugee family. Uh, they didn't choose to be a refugee. My both parents were studying in uh, Lebanon, in a university in Lebanon, because in that time, in in old days, before the war, the first war, the, there is limited resources after because we have two wars, yeah. one in 1948 and the other one in 1967. So the first war, my both parents were young and they uh, met and they got married and they went to study uh, in Lebanon in one of the best universities. So end up with the war happened. This is the second war. The war they were born in the war. And they became refugee in their own country. My father from Jaffa, from the, from the north, and he went to the south. He met my mom. They were young, so in the high school. So uh, they met and they got married. Mm. Um, then they decided to, uh, to study. So they went abroad. In the same time they were abroad, the war happened. So Israel decided where, wherever, because all the land was now occupied, mm. whole. Yeah. Uh, no in other beasts before the south was a little bit free but then taken so my father and mother decided to go back through the border they closed the border it was one way either to go out no one is allowed to go in 
So my both parents became refugee and they have the UN, you know, the UN created after that mm. and they gave them a passport, the blue passport. It's a UN passport. Uh, of course, in Arab countries, there is no refugee camps and like, you know, like what we have, like human yeah. rights in Ireland. Mm. No, all what they have to do is to work. Mm. So they went to Saudi Arabia and they worked in good Uh, in education, both yeah. both of them teachers, and then I also uh, moved to, to UAE when I finished my uh, first uh, high school. I went to UAE for uh, for better opportunities. United uh, uh, So I finished mm-hmm. my academic in USA. Yeah. I I studied in uh, in Tufts University, one of Boston universities. Mm. It's a child of Boston University, okay. so uh, it's 100 in the world ranked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I finished the masters and I went back to uh, UAE to work. Okay. I work in a good. Um, Uh, academic mm. uh, international uh, company um, and uh, beside my work in teaching so uh, in my um, one of the challenges I faced there that I have a voice and mm. I always I want to do something uh, how did you but end I up couldn't in this... talk I couldn't talk okay. there I'm at Allah because yeah. any small word in Twitter or uh, um, always we we became politics by um, by force right. because by not even you are not sure you cannot you cannot be yourself you're told what to think yes you cannot okay. but for mm. me i don't want to because i'm happy in their country i am mm. a foreigner at the end of the day it's not my country even if i was born there i have no right how, how did you end up coming here in uh, in the COVID time before the COVID time i came um, to bring one of my daughter to study in ireland and the plan was for me to return When COVID happened, I have an, a vision that I am against um, uh, against the vaccine, you know. So in UAE, as a foreigner, I am not allowed to go back to my country, not my country, mm. their country, but I am a citizen there, citizen all my life. I'm not a citizen, sorry, a foreigner all my life, working there. Yeah. I was not able to go back. Okay. Yeah. Not allowed. Yeah. I have to be vaccinated. Right. Um, I am a person against vaccination. Okay. So yeah. uh, my solicitor, I talked to my lawyer and she gave me other options. She told me, you are stateless. You are a refugee already. So you apply for asylum in Ireland. I took my, and this is good for you, for you and for yeah. your daughter. Okay. So uh, I I thought that it's something I can do for my daughters. I want them to live a life. You have three daughters, have, don't you? I have three mm, daughters, mm, but two mm. of them with me here studying. I want a life for them that they can speak freely. Mm. Not like me. Every time I open a page in Twitter, talk about Palestine and the free for Palestine, mm. somebody will block me and will call me to the office to tell me, please be careful. So I want a life for them that they can get. It's not about money. Yani we are in Ireland, not for financially or economic, mm. because we do better there, a yeah. hundred times better. Right. Okay. But the issue is with the freedom of speech, the freedom to be yourself, the freedom of uh, traveling. Because for me, can you believe, as I'm, I, even if I am educated, mm. even if you are rich as yeah. a Palestinian, No, any embassy give you a visa. Right. They will immediately they will deal with you like, oh, he will stay in my country. You are lucky if I will stay in your country because <laughs> I'm a person educated and uh, open-minded and ready to help and positive income. But they will they are not welcoming us because of the history. Hmm. But what's my fault? Okay. I'm the child of the child of the child of the immigrant. I'm the fourth generation. What's my fault if my family are Palestinian? 
But this is who will make me cry sometime. And mm. uh, this is who, who led me to go to this program. Because really, I, so I see myself in politics. In politics. Mm. in politics, not only in it comes to health health improvement changes, because my background is healthcare, uh, academic changes, education. I have input and I have vision and I want really to implement Very it good. in a different way. Very good. But hold that thought because uh, I'd like to hear more about your vision. I need to take a, an ad break, uh, but hold that thought and I'll come back and hear a little bit more uh, about uh, Amani Kamal's vision after this break. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. We're talking with Manny Kamal, uh, who uh, is resident in Mosny, who has uh, just graduated from the Immigrant Council of Ireland's Migrant Leadership Academy. Uh, speaks like a politician, looks like a politician, uh, but won't say if she's hoping to be a politician or not like a true politician. Uh, has a lot of vision, though, and has come in to tell us a, a little bit about uh, the positive uh, change that she hopes to affect in the community that we all live in. Uh, and uh, thanks for doing that. Tell us about uh, where you're living, if if you would, in Mosny. What's life like in Mosny for you? Yeah, uh, Mosny is accommodation centre for uh, refugees and asylum seeker and uh, uh, it's a direct profession at the end of the day um, it's a good place that's full of facilities and uh, the the management they're trying their best to make this place a good place and safe place but at the end of the day for us as a residents it's not a life at all because uh, you are uh, you know controlled by system by this is allowed this is not allowed not allowed to have this not allowed to have that i know that we have to obey the system but freedom is beautiful and those people who escaped for overseas and come along their aim is to have a freedom um one of the things that uh, i really i don't like that when it comes to rules ruling the people in a way that you are a refugee you are reminding you every second every moment that you are trying to forget you are trying to integrate you are trying to have a way you are trying to live they don't know that some of us, some of us i don't know i'm talking about me i'm not economic immigrant i'm i'm, I'm politician a politics immigrant i have a reason to have here to be here i have a voice and i have a vision and that's why i came here but with respecting to all reasons to come in ireland but my reason i have also my own pain i left a family behind me i left a mother in one in mm. one place i am also i am as a refugee or as a, babe, a person under the system i'm not able to travel and see them i cannot do have the freedom to see my daughter to see to be with my husband so we have our own being, our own challenges. Also, we have a life before. We have a car, a house, a job. Mm. All of this lost. So now you are depending on them and their food and their accommodation. It's not easy okay. for some of us. Mm. What your, I your, mean, your, your husband and your daughter are not still with me. Um, in uh, UAE, yeah. are they? Uh, they still, uh, yeah. One, of my, my husband in Palestine and oh. uh, trying, mm. yeah, and uh, mm. my daughter in studying in one of the universities there okay. in UAE because it's an international mm. university. And the other two girls are they with you they are yeah with me mm. they are studying the university in the CU and they are doing great okay. um, mm. they are brilliant alhamdulillah thanks God mm. they are trying their best mm. uh, uh, trying to, uh, to integrate with the community for me I have a skills in healthcare in academic in everything but when you are isolated when you are away from the the normal life you end up with jobs become more difficult transportation difficult 
um, when it comes to reach your uh, neighbors, to have a, you know, a relationship, hmm. a relationship with the Irish people. What's your culture? What's my culture? I want them to see who we are, like to have a neighbor around. I am. I have a dream of having my own house, but the the, the housing crisis holding us from living this normal life. For me, if I will be in uh, a key person one day and I have a voice, solution available in different ways. From the beginning, I am against having direct provision. Mm. From the beginning, um, many countries have this such experience. It's not good to have a people in a place and say, I will give you accommodation, I will feed you. Mm. Give me, if, if the government allows some money for me it's to help me until I will finish the process, give me this money, let me survive. Let me survive. This is what they did in Jordan. In Jordan, there is about um, 3 million Palestinians when they escaped from the first war. Mm. Jordan didn't say, I will feed you, I will give you a house. No. Why? Take this uh, small money from the UN, of course, not from their own bucket. We are not uh, eating Mm. somebody's food. From the UN. Mm. From the UN, um, some small money in the beginning, just until I will do the process, then I will be forced to work. Yeah. To build my own life, then I will mix with the, with the, with everybody. I will live like everybody. But that won't that won't work for you here, will it? Because of the housing crisis, the cost of renting and yes, uh, this is now property. became mm, yeah, worse. Mm, mm, but yeah, I mean, mm, if even if the, from the beginning, from the beginning, from the old days, when you decide to have uh, this accommodations, it could be for three, four months, mm. just until this person settle. This is what they do in Canada. If you compare to Canada experience, because my cousin went there with her daughters, she yeah. has the same way, the same boat with me. She went there uh, only three months, then leave the, the, the and live normal life. You're and on your the, own. And yeah. that's mm-hmm. it. Uh, of course, there's uh, mm. every country have their own challenges and own uh, issues. But I believe that those issues become big and small for many reasons. Mm. For me, because I am in, in, in the same and I mixed with a lot of people and I meet also a lot of people. I'm not isolating myself from other immigrants. Sure. Mm. I, I know many stories and I know many experiences. So I believe there is a reason behind that. Do you believe that Mosni is a, a safe place to live for women and for children? There's a lot are, it is. It is mm. very safe mm. place and beautiful place for women and children. Very safe. You can leave the door open and sleep. Uh, it's really good. And mm. the management very respectable. Okay. I cannot say one word from my own experience mm. about no about others but too far away from the town you think but far away from the town uh, far away from the Irish community Mm. which I came for it for me Irish if you know because I came from a father my father is also academic he is always talking to us about the Irish experience when Irish fighted to get the freedom for many years and they really went through a lot of you know struggling mm. so when we say oh no hope for my country to return yeah. no hope he will tell us when we are children be palestinian mm. remember and people, people will always uh, relate with uh, palestinians in this country yes. because of the occupation that was part of our history yes that and you know the inhuman uh, deal with the Palestinian inside inside Palestine when there is no human right. It's not about only us. We are we are already out. Mm. We are about nine millions out 
out in America or Canada and we'll never, we haven't the right to come back. But I'm talking about even the human rights inside Palestine. I'm, I'm fighting for them also because they have many checkpoints, they have no life, no many things. But I'm talking about even our life in general here in Ireland. It's really in many ways hundred times better than any mm. other life I went through before. But that's great to hear. Yes, that that's really, great. That's the, the, positive. The, 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 there is a lot that, of that positive is a nature. Good I love nature. Mm. I love the environment. Yeah. Are, are people nice to you? Do people welcome you here or do people resent you being here? Because no, they we've are seen, really nice. Re- we've really seen, nice. We've seen I, some I problems. I never experienced yeah. uh, mm. any uh, such of uh, um, You've seen uh, these protests outside of accommodation centres. Uh, they are. I mean, I, I sometimes I agree with some of them, oh. you know, mm. because uh, like I have students with my daughter. Um, they have something. You know, they, she said, mommy, we have students studying with us. They were not able to pay the rent mm. because it became very expensive. Like us, like me now, if mm. I want a house, the rent higher than my budget. That's why it's mm. one of my crises to go out. Okay, but we have a small, I think it's a very small number of people who are protesting against refugees. Really small, yeah. comparing mm. with the population. Your, your, exper- and the your, your experience is positive. Yes, yeah. look, yeah. Uh, some of mm. them, they are looking at to mm. that Ireland is full or they have uh, yeah. problems mm. and issues. And I believe with them and somehow that the government is have the problem, not the people. Those mm. people protesting, if they see positive outcome from solution, they will immediately think that those immigrants will not hurt us in many ways because now they have a crisis with their own children they haven't uh, accommodation they haven't yeah. houses they haven't j- maybe jobs in somehow but if the government doing its job their job in in different way yeah. i am not talking what they are doing is that but what they are doing is that enough but what they are doing is not uh, matching with nowadays life yeah. they are old system you, when you look at to their thinking they will say oh my god why do you still live in the, in the old days? Come to live with us now. Mm. See the fire right now and look at to the problems and are, discuss are, it with are, the people. Are you a member of a political party? <laughs> I'm thinking of, enjoy, of joining one of them. But okay. still, you know, I'm reading about each group. And uh, look, I, I, I admire Shin Fim before. Yes, but uh, um, I'm not sure if I will uh, join them. I, I want to look at to the... Um, best practice among them but um, I, I put my voice in the, my government uh, I have there uh, uh, an icon to put my voice I put my voice different times since I was asylum until I became a residence until I have my own stamp for now but um, and my passport but still I uh, want to study um, all those politicians I attended some meeting with the TDs Mm-hmm. Yes, I uh, I joined uh, because I am a member of also of um, Massey group, mm. uh, which uh, they are fighting for uh, the right of asylum. In that time, because I was talking, uh, I my part. That's Massey, the movement of asylum Massey, seekers. Movement of asylum seekers, yeah. mm-hmm. um, uh, and also Amnesty. I am also part of them. I work in with them in different ways, but my job with them in that time, uh, advocate or fighting for the right of third education for uh, asylum seeker mm. and uh, 
migrant because we believe that education is the best way to find job and the best way to um, get rid of from the welfare okay and to be yourself all right and you won't say whether you'll become a politician or hope to become a politician whether you'll stand in the elections or, or, or not uh, but uh, i take it that you hope to be involved in some way in the next elections yes of course uh, look uh, i am now attending many uh, even you know the one in line and even sometime uh, in person, I'm attending the open discussions mm. and I'm listening to all of them, uh, listening to the problems and to the solution and different problems in the country and they are discussing it in open way, which is, I love that. I love that. Mm. And I enjoy this a lot that to be uh, open and clear with the public and talk to them about mm. the issues and openly. Uh, but at the end of the day, politics is really complicated and uh, you need to have um, now I have the academy certificate. I am able to stand up i am able to understand better than before uh, i want to be involved i want to also to create my own group and to create my own uh, you know organization mm. and this is what i'm thinking about then i will uh, join one of those um big uh, groups but at the end of the day i might be uh, prefer to be a free person and to give my person and maybe I will be in the opposite uh, the direction and tell them, no, I'm not happy from that. I'm happy from that. There is ways to do uh, the, the work when okay. it is look, look, when there is democratic. There is ways. OK, well, look, congratulations to you on your graduation. <laughs> Thank thanks, you so much. Thanks for coming in to us. It's uh, a pleasure to speak to you and hear a little bit about uh, the vision that you have uh, for effecting positive change in mm-hmm. our community. Uh, and as I say, thanks for coming in to us today. Thank you so much for That's having me. <laughs> very good. That's Amani Kamal from Drogheda there. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, is a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Fiona Kerr joins us for this week's report from Navin Garda Station and thank you for doing that and good morning to you. We're going to begin with a robbery that occurred at a filling station in Drogheda. Yes, good morning, Michael. This incident occurred last Tuesday, so that's this day last week, the 25th of July. And it happened at 7.40am at the Maxall filling station on the Bally McKenney Road in Drada. So one male entered the shop and he made his way towards the counter and then he reached over and tried to grab the cashier. Then he went around the counter and opened the till and took a sum of money before leaving the store. Now, thankfully, there were no weapons used in this incident and no injuries were caused to the cashier. However, it was still a very traumatic experience for the staff in Maxall. So just to recap, this occurred last Tuesday, this day last week, at 7.40am at the Maxall filling station on the Bally McKenney Road in Drogheda. So if anyone listening this morning was in the vicinity at this time and recalls seeing anything that may help the Gardaí with this investigation, to please contact Drogheda Garda Station. Okay, we've items stolen from two different vans in Drogheda, I think. Yes, on Thursday the 27th of July, approximately 11am at Newtown Wood in Drogheda, the injured party in this case was doing some work at a house where a number of tools were taken from his van. And they included a Makita drill and battery, a Makita electric drill. Now, these tools were worth a significant amount and is a huge loss to the injured party. So we now believe that the suspect uh, to have left the scene in a 06 or a 08 grey Ford Focus. So if anybody was in Newtown Wood last Thursday morning around 11am 
I perhaps recall seeing a car fitting this description, please contact Drogheda Garda Station as they'd be very keen to progress this investigation. And the second incident also occurred in Newtown Wood on Thursday the 27th and occurred around the same time, so approximately 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Again, the injured party was working in a house here when a neighbour alerted him to the fact his tools had been taken from his van. So a number of power tools were taken, again amounting to a significant sum. And just a reminder to listeners, if you're buying tools and they're priced lower than usual or the circumstances are suspicious, alert the Gardaí and we can check out if the goods are stolen or not. Okay. Is there any question as to whether those two incidents were related? Uh, Very possibly related, yes. Okay. Next to Navin and uh, a report of theft from a person. That's right. On Saturday last, at approximately lunchtime, around 1pm, there was a test from a person in Johnstown People's Park in Navan. The injured party's backpack was stolen and contained a passport, driving licence, Samsung phone and headphones. And this would have been a very frightening experience for the injured party. And the Guardian Navan would appreciate the public's help with this. Um, were you in the park, uh, in the vicinity of Johnstown People's Park last Saturday, around 1pm? Did you see anything that may be of help? Uh, please contact Navan Garda Station if so. Okay, and uh, we're going to conclude with uh, an appeal for information uh, if anybody may have witnessed a, a fatal road traffic accident. That's right. Garda and Dunboyne are investigating uh, a road traffic collision involving a car and a tractor which occurred on the R157 at Moigaddy at approximately 4pm on Wednesday the 26th of July. So the driver of the car, a male in his 50s, was pronounced dead at the scene. The Gardaí are appealing for witnesses or anyone with dash cam footage from the area at the time to contact Dunboyne Guard Station or indeed, as always, the Garda Confidential Line is available on 1-800-666-111. Thank you indeed. Garda Fiona Kerr of Navan Garda Station and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on Tuesday's programme next week. Now, thanks uh, to Margaret uh, texting us, a number of texts that have come to us uh, this morning. Uh, Margaret texting us following on uh, from that conversation with uh, Manny Kamal uh, saying, lovely woman, first time, Michael, you didn't get a word in, was it? (laughs) I didn't. uh, I actually, when Manny uh, was leaving, I said to her, God, have you been on the radio before? You seem very confident. Uh, And she said she had. uh, She's uh, obviously a very experienced, confident individual uh, and has a lot to offer to our community. Uh, I don't ever like to hear my own voice. uh, And uh, when I I do, it's probably to help people along. I don't think a Manny needed any help. Uh, James in Drogheda uh, about Manny's interview saying, so let me get this straight, Michael. An Grant has studied Irish politics that was educated by English instructors coming over to give the course. They didn't do too well in the North. I, I think it's great that an immigrant non-Irish can run in our elections. Uh, and James says he's looking forward to Trump putting his name forward for the next elections here. Well, good enough, James. Thanks for that. Uh, another text uh, from somebody who has no water this morning in Marheaven and More. We'll try and find out uh, more for you uh, about that. Um, We've uh, Patsy in Carrick as well because we were talking about it being the wettest July on record in the history of the state or at least since records started back in the 1980s I think um, and Patsy said uh, Carrick, uh, Patsy's in Carrick, he says at least the wet July means that there were no fires raging across the Carlingford Mountains. Thanks uh, indeed uh, for that Patsy. I suppose every cloud has a silver lining and we've had plenty of clouds 
Uh, there must be a few silver linings out there. Uh, we were talking with uh, the Environmental Protection Agency about their water report and indeed uh, the problems in Dundalk. Uh, a text or WhatsApp from Mary who says, uh, if you saw what is coming out of our tap uh, from our treatment plants, my God, it's so bad. I wouldn't let my dogs drink that brown water. Thanks, uh, Mary, for that. Uh, I think uh, when we were speaking uh, with uh, Cormac uh, McGarlett of uh, the EPA, he, he did suggest that he wouldn't be drinking it either. Probably safe uh, up to the point where it becomes so unpalatable, I think, uh, to paraphrase what he was saying. He was saying that uh, when it is dangerous, you wouldn't drink it anyway because it's horrible. Uh, so that's... Uh, the story there. Um, we're uh, trying to get uh, some information on that water uh, shortage in Moorhaven and Moor as well while we're at it. It's uh, a burst water main apparently uh, and uh, we'll hopefully be able to update you on that uh, in the coming hours, two or three hours uh, I think uh, is uh, the estimated time for that. Now we were hoping to speak uh, with Helen McEntee, Finn Gale TD in Mead East and indeed Minister for Justice uh, this morning. Uh, about some of the criticism uh, that there has been uh, about the shortage of visible Gardaí uh, and as to what can be done about that. Uh, That interview didn't take place, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, Maybe we'll get to speak to the Minister in the next couple of days. Maybe we'll get to speak to Ografina Fall. I don't think we will get to speak to Ografina Fall as things stand because they said they're not giving interviews, but they have issued a statement calling on Helen McEntee to resign with immediate effect as the Minister of or for Justice. They say that over the last 12 years, Fine Gael has held the, the Justice Ministry. During this time, the state has seen the erosion of law and order to a standard far below that which is owed to the public, with failures ranging from the closure of local Garda stations and uh, the dwindling levels of recruitment to the underfunding and under-resourcing of our justice system. The statement says it is clear to us in Ografina Fall that Fine Gael has failed to combat these issues and continue to avoid addressing same. It is a sorry state of affairs to say that our capital city is unsafe. As I say, that's just part of a, a statement that was issued yesterday by Ografina Fall. We did ask uh, the group to discuss it with us on the programme. They said that uh, they're not giving interviews as things stand, and maybe that will change in the couple coming days. Uh, but uh, time will tell. Hopefully we'll get to put some of uh, the points that they've been making to the Minister of Justice in the coming days uh, as well. Uh, but uh, an interesting twist, uh, which uh, Fianna Fall is disassociating itself from I'm saying that Ogre Fianna Fáil, the youth Fianna Fáil uh, group is separate to the party as such. Uh, but um, I think that uh, will raise a few eyebrows within both parties. Anyway, that's where we leave you for today. Maggie Maguire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie